What promise did Tolkien make that he wished he could take back? What project was he working on that led to the delay for the publishing of the final volume of The Lord of the Rings? What part of the book did Tolkien predict many of his readers would, quote, properly neglect? Today, in the Lore of the Rings podcast, we will no longer neglect this oft-ignored work. With its unromantic title and daunting section headers, no, in this show we wander all the works of Tolkien. Even the final pages slapped to the end of The Return of the King. Lace up your adventure boots, strap on your travel cloak, wanderers, because today we begin to explore the appendix to The Lord of the Rings. Welcome! In the Lord of the Rings podcast, we wander the world of J.R.R. Tolkien by exploring the foundational epic stories from the deep past of Middle-earth. If you enjoyed Tolkien's books, or maybe Peter Jackson's movies, or perhaps you're excited for Amazon Studios' new series, The Rings of Power, and you want to dive deeper into the rich world of Middle-earth, then listen and subscribe. Bagovanian, fellow wanderers. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Imagine being a Tolkien fan in 1955. You and your fellow fans are few in number. If you want to read your favorite author's work, you can reread The Hobbit and The Fellowship of the Ring. That's all you've got. But say you were as curious as a fool of a took, and you wanted to know more about Elrond's father, Eärendil, or why Elrond was called Half-Elven, or to know about Nargothrond and Gondolin, why they made such beautiful swords like Gandalf's or Thorin's. Or why Galadriel and Celeborn came over the mountain before they fell. Say, perhaps, Aragorn's sad song about Luthien, the elven maid who died, touched your heart, and you wanted to know who she was and why she died so tragically. Where would you learn more about these stories? You don't have the Lore of the Rings podcast, or Nerd of the Rings on YouTube, or the TolkienGateway.net, TheOneRing.net, TheOneRing.com. You don't have Peter Jackson's movies. Or Amazon's Rings of Power, thank goodness. You don't even have the Two Towers or Return of the King books yet. You have only The Hobbit and The Fellowship of the Ring. You could attempt a letter. You could write to J.R.R. Tolkien himself and ask your questions. And if you were lucky enough, he might answer them. 
But if you weren't lucky enough, you would have to wait, not only for the rest of The Lord of the Rings to be published, but also the promised appendix to The Lord of the Rings. And you had to hope that the appendix would answer all your burning questions. One such lucky fan received a letter from Tolkien in 1956, in which Tolkien detailed the demand for answers like this, quote, While many, like you, demand maps, others wish for geological indications rather than places. Many want elvish grammars, phonologies, and specimens. Some want metrics and prosodies. Musicians want tunes and musical notation. Archaeologists want ceramics and metallurgy. Botanists want a more accurate description of the Malorn, or Eleanor, Nifredel, Alfarin, Mayos, and Simbominye. Historians want more details about the social and political structure of Gondor. General inquirers want more information about the Wainriders, the Harad, Dwarvish origins, the Deadmen, the Bjornings, and the missing two wizards out of five. As you can imagine, Tolkien's fans wanted more and more and more. And here we are, three quarters of a century later, and we still want more. So Tolkien promised that with the publication of The Return of the King, a set of appendices would be included, attempting to provide more detail and depth to the world Tolkien created in The Lord of the Rings. However, Tolkien demanded the highest quality of his writing, as his son Christopher Tolkien would say, quote, he himself was peculiarly critical and exacting of his own work. So not only did Tolkien need to finish his epic tale of The Lord of the Rings, but he also had to organize his notes and musings. And it wasn't like he had a grand master plan. Most of his tales simply burst out of him. He felt like he was a recorder and discoverer of these stories and their characters. He would then spend decades revising and rewriting these tales. Remember the first of these tales that he started to write was The Fall of Gondolin, which he started to draft during his days in the army during World War I back in 1917. Go back and listen to episode 29 for a refresher on that tale. So he had decades and decades of notes to work through. Well, it must have been easy for him. With all his notes in Google Drive, he could just search for keywords, and likely an AI was helping him keep it all organized anyway, right? Wrong. Tolkien would just write on whatever paper he had available to him in that moment. He said one day he was grading his students' essays, and he just happened to turn it over and on the back write, quote, In a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. Due to paper shortages during World War II, Tolkien would often write on scraps of papers, like a ripped-off portion of an Oxford-class schedule, in very hasty handwriting. And if we're lucky, his dear wife Edith would decipher his handwriting and type up his notes later on. So that is the task before Tolkien. Finish his epic fantasy tale of light overcoming the shadow, and somehow organize decades of detailed, contradictory, and extremely chaotic notes in order to provide a detailed appendix, and hope that the appendix would satisfy the demands from all the map seekers, elvish linguists, archaeologists, botanists, historians, and general inquirers. No wonder then that Tolkien would write to another lucky fan in 1955, quote, I now wish no appendices had been promised. Undoubtedly, the sheer effort needed to put all of that together would have been overwhelming. But not only that, Tolkien wasn't sure that anyone would find the appendices interesting. In that same 1955 letter, he wrote, quote, For I think their appearance in truncated and compressed form will satisfy nobody. Certainly not me. Clearly, from the appalling mass of letters 
I receive, not those people who like that kind of thing, astonishingly many, while those who enjoy the book as a heroic romance only and find unexplained vistas part of the literary effect will neglect the appendices very properly. If you've neglected the appendices up until now, you can be forgiven. As Tolkien said, that would be a very proper thing to do. But for those of us who are drawn in, who find the thirst for more depth to be, quote, fatally attractive, Tolkien has this to say, quote, It is, I suppose, a tribute to the curious effect that a story has, when based on very elaborate and detailed workings of geography, chronology, and language, that so many clamor for sheer information or lore. Yes, Tolkien, the vast detail and thoroughness of your story has the curious effect of drawing us in. So, let's get started. Appendix A has a title, Annals of the King and Rulers. However, the story of Appendix A doesn't start in Appendix A, as the first line states, quote, Concerning the sources for most of the matter contained in the following appendices, see the note at the end of the prologue. If we bounce all the way back to the prologue, usually printed before Chapter 1 of The Fellowship of the Ring, we find a section called Note on Shire Records, and begins like this, quote, At the end of the Third Age, the part played by the hobbits in the great events that led to the inclusion of the Shire in the reunited kingdom awakened among them a more widespread interest in their own history, and many of their traditions, up to that time still mainly oral, were collected and written down. Tolkien then goes on to describe Bilbo's diary called The Red Book, in which he wrote down many of the tales of the First Age and his translations of Elvish. A copy of the Red Book was made and kept in Gondor by none other than Peregrine Took, who maintained a close friendship with that kingdom after the War of the Ring. This copy was known as the Thane's Book, and, quote, In Minas Tirith it received much annotation and many corrections, especially of names, words, and quotations in the Elvish languages and there was added to it an abbreviated version of those parts of The Tale of Aragorn and Arwen, which lie outside the account of the war. We'll get to The Tale of Aragorn and Arwen in a future episode. I've cited these quotes so that you can see how Tolkien framed the appendices. These works are not the definitive encyclopedia from the omnipotent author. No, Tolkien has framed the appendices as Hobbit records, which they kept after the War of the Ring, with a few other sources. The purpose of the tales contained in the appendices is also given. Quote, their principal purpose is to illustrate the War of the Rings and its origins, and to fill up some gaps in the main story. I've used that term a couple of times already, War of the Ring. This war refers to all of the events at the end of the Third Age that are portrayed in the books and movies. Bilbo finds the ring, Frodo inherits it, Sauron wants it, Gandalf organizes the good people of Middle-earth to overcome, culminating in the destruction of the One Ring and the final overthrow of Sauron, and Aragorn rising up to take the throne of Gondor. Since the purpose is to illustrate the origins of the War of the Ring, Tolkien then gives us a detailed synopsis of the First and Second Ages, starting all the way back with Feanor. Yes, Feanor, he who in Valinor created the Silmarils from the light of the two trees, Gladriel's uncle, and the elf who led the Noldorean elves into exile from the Valar. However, Morgoth, the Dark Lord and Sauron's master, stole the Silmarils from Feanor and brought them to his northern fortress in Middle-earth. Feanor and the Noldor followed him to Middle-earth in order to reclaim the Silmarils, and, quote, thereafter followed the hopeless war of the Eldar, 
that means elves, and the Adain, that means good men, against Morgoth, in which they were at last utterly defeated. The tales of this war, the War of the Jewels, are told in the Silmarillion, which we explored chapter by chapter for the first 40 or so episodes of this podcast. Tolkien, or rather the Hobbit scribes of Appendix A, then provide the names of, quote, three unions of the Eldar and the Adain, Luthien and Beren, Idrell and Tuor, Arwen and Aragorn. These are the power couples of Middle-earth, and it's in the sundering and reuniting of their family lines that hope remains for the good people of Middle-earth. Luthien was the daughter of a great elven king, yet her mother was Melion of the Maiar. The Maiar were a class of spiritual beings, more powerful than the elves, who served the greater powers known as the Valar. Baron was a mortal man of high lineage. Their story is a powerful tale of love, commitment, healing, and overcoming the shadow. In the end, they reclaimed one of the three stolen Silmarils from Morgoth. Their granddaughter, Elwing, is the mother to Elrond and Elros. For more on Luthien and Baron, check out their chapter in the Silmarillion, the book titled Baron and Luthien, or the four-part episode series in this podcast. The second powerful couple was Idril and Tuor. Idril was an elf maiden of Gondolin, the hidden city and last refuge against Morgoth. Tuor was a man of another high lineage. Their son is Eärendil, who is the father to Elrond and Elros. Eärendil and Elwing were wed, and in time sailed into the blessed realm of Valinor in the west, to plead for mercy and help from the Valar to the elves and men that remained in Middle-earth. The Valar responded by mustering their forces and overthrowing Morgoth, but Eärendil was not permitted to return. His ship was refashioned to sail in the skies, and with the light of the Silmaril, he and Elwing rose to become a new star in the heavens. That is the end of Appendix A's synopsis of the First Age of Middle-earth. All of these tales are told in full in the Silmarillion, and they really are quite beautiful tales. If you've attempted to read the Silmarillion before and you've gotten lost, then this short synopsis in Appendix A is a good guide for that journey. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Appendix A called The Annals of the Kings and Rulers, continues into the Second Age of Middle-earth by first calling attention to Elrond and Elros, otherwise known as, quote, the Perithil or Half-Elven. They are Half-Elven because their father, Eärendil, was a man, while their mother, Elwing, was an elf, and they are the combination of both of the unions of an elf and man before them, Luthien and Beren, and Idril and Tuor. Elrond and Elros were given, quote, an irrevocable choice to which kindred they would belong. Elrond chose to be of the elves, and though he lingered in Middle-earth, he had the same gift given to the other elves, that is, quote, 
that when weary at last of the mortal lands, they could take ship from the Grey Havens and pass into the uttermost west. Elrond's children had the same choice before them, be of immortal elf kind or be of mortal mankind. Thus his daughter, Arwen, would choose a mortal life with Aragorn. See, it all connects, right? I know the dozen or so names we've introduced already can be dizzying, but it all comes together to form an intricate and beautiful story. Elrond's brother Elros chose to be of mankind. While he would eventually die, he and his descendants were granted a longer-than-normal lifespan, 500 years for Elros. Another gift was given to Elros and the men who were faithful and fought alongside the elves in the First Age. This gift was the Isle of Elena, quote, westernmost of all mortal lands. There they founded the realm of Numenor. Numenor became the pinnacle of human civilization on Middle-earth. Their power and might grew, as did their resentment towards all immortal creatures who did not have to suffer death. The Valar gave the Numenorians a ban, that they could not sail so far west toward the immortal undying lands that they could no longer see their beloved island. Elros's, quote, descendants were long-lived but mortal. Later, when they became powerful, they begrudged the choice of their forefather, desiring the immortality within the life of the world that was the fate of the Eldar, and murmured against the ban. The Numenorians were powerful enough to make Sauron, the Dark Lord of Mordor, come as prisoner to dwell on their island, but the master deceiver was able to turn the Numenorians' discontent against the Valar to his own purposes, and thus was brought about the downfall of Numenor. This story is told in more details in the Silmarillion in a tale called Akalabeth. Now what follows this synopsis of the Second Age is a list of the kings and queens of Numenor. The list has 25 names, and don't worry, I won't read them all, but here's a sample. Elros, Tarminyatar, Vardamir, Tar Amandil, Tar Ankalime, Tar Talperien, Tal Akarin. But then there's a change in the names that the kings and queens take. Instead of taking elvish names, they took names in their own language, which shows their growing rebellion against the Valar and the elves. Here's some of those names Ar Zimrathron, Ar Sokalathor, Ar Inzaladun, and Ar Farazon. Those last two may sound familiar to Rings of Power viewers. Ar Inziladun is how Queen Regent Muriel refers to her father in Episode 7, I think it was, and Ar Farazon, Muriel's Chancellor in Numenor, whose final screen time in Rings of Power is staring in dismay at the body of the dead king. The daughter of the fourth king of Numenor was Silmarien, and from her came the lords of the land called Andunie on the west side of the island. From these lords would come the faithful in later days, including Elindil and his sons Isildur and Anarion. We've explored extensively and recently on this podcast how the Numenorians were great seafarers and explorers. At one point, they sent a great force to assist King Gil-galad of the elves in their wars against Sauron after the creation of the Rings of Power. But, quote, it was Tar Atanamir who first spoke openly against the ban and declared that the life of the Eldar was his by right. Thus the shadow deepened, and the thought of death darkened the hearts of the people. Then the Numenorians became divided. On the one hand were the kings and those who followed them, and were estranged from the Eldar and the Valar. On the other were the few who called themselves the faithful, 
They lived mostly in the west of the land. In time, Tarpalantir, otherwise known as ar Inziladun, tried to return the people to the ways of the faithful. But Arfarazon led a rebellion against him and seized the scepter after his death. In his pride, Arfarazon first subdued Sauron, then took counsel from him. Quote, and Sauron lied to the king, declaring that everlasting life would be his, who possessed the undying lands, and that the ban was imposed only to prevent the kings of men from surpassing the Valar. But great kings take what is their right, he said. Arfarazon went on to challenge the Valar. In response, the Valar drowned the island of Numenor, wiping away its rebellious people. Sauron was also caught in the sinking, barely escaping in spirit form. Only a few ships of the faithful remained, led by Elendil the Tall and his sons. Elendil and his sons landed in Middle-earth and established the northern kingdom of Arnor and the southern kingdom of Gondor. Sauron escaped to Mordor, quote, and hid there for a time in silence. But his anger was great when he learned that Elendil, whom he most hated, had escaped him and was now ordering a realm upon his borders. Therefore, after a time he made war upon the exiles, before they should take root. Orodruin burst once more into flame, and was named anew in Gondor, Aman Armath, Mount Doom. Elendil and Gilgalad joined forces, and in the last alliance they marched against Sauron in Mordor. There they both fell, but the One Ring was taken from Sauron, and Isildur inherited the kingship from his father. Quote, so ended the Second Age. And that is how the synopsis of the First and Second Ages end in Appendix A. Let's pause there for today. We've covered a lot of lore today. We started at Feanor, jumped to Baron and Luthien, threw in Elrond, popped over to Elros, and landed with Elendil and Isildur, and a healthy sprinkling of Morgoth and Sauron. I don't blame you if you feel a little lost. Again, these appendices are compact and intended to provide us with a history of the War of the Ring. If you want to dive deeper into these tales, pick up the Silmarillion and go back and listen to the previous episodes of this podcast. Next episode, we'll dive into the Northern Kingdom of Arnor during the Third Age, how the Dúnedain, or Rangers, came to be, and the rise of a certain Witch King from Agmar, who you might know as the King of the Ringwraiths, or Nazgul. Thanks for wandering with me today. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Lore of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.